0: Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a brand new podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always, Sean Baker, and today's topic is the 1998 film Saving Private Ryan. So just like when we talked about a previous film by Spielberg, we always do the plot summary, and I was saying... Do we really need to do a plot summary? Yeah, everybody knows I, I think this story, Everybody they haven't seen it. Yeah,
1: they, they they know the basics of the story. I mean, it's almost, um, it's in the title of the movie, yes. practically. <laughs> and, but, you know, maybe we need to br- briefly do it, just yeah. because it is a three-hour-long movie. I forgot that it was three hours long.
0: Yeah, but it basically, for for if some reason, you've never even heard of this movie, which I highly doubt, but it follows a squad of army rangers when they're, Um, land on Omaha Beach during the D-Day landings. And a day or two after they um, land, they are tasked with this mission of rescuing a Private James Ryan. Because his... Actually, we see at the very end of the Omaha Beach sequence, we see the body of one of his brothers, and then we find out that all of his other brothers have been killed in action. And now, um, through uh, through General George Marshall they'd have decided to bring him back, yeah. and which ha- which we'll get into more, but has historic, this um, decision has historical basis for it. But, yes. So basically this squad is tasked with going in and finding him. The problem is he was part of the 101st Airborne. Famously, their landings on Normandy were scattered. They went all over the place, so that adds a lot of difficulty, and there's a lot of animosity between some of the people in the squad who feel that we're risking... Mm-hmm. Eight of us are risking it for just one guy, and there's a lot of debate between that. And we almost, we see, we're introduced to this squad, not only through Tom Hanks, but this new character of Upham, who's a task because he speaks German yes. and French.
1: Yes, and Upham is a classic uh, 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 office uh, jockey or rear echelon jockey. He has no combat experience at all. Um, The last time he touched a rifle was in basic training, and he makes that clear, yet they need him, because if they are looking for uh, Private Ryan in the French countryside, then chances are that they will either be talking to the French or to possibly German POWs. So, yes.
0: Yes. And... This, I mean, this film, I mean, there's a reason why we we're saying, like, do we really need to do, because this film is considered by many critics to be a classic. This is the yeah. film, just like The Exorcist is for horror films, this is the movie for war films, not just World War II movies, but yeah. war films. I can almost guarantee you if there's a war movie that comes out, whether it's World War II or something in Iraq or Afghanistan... One of the poll quotes, if it gets a positive review, is going to be best war film since saving private Ryan. Yes. When Hacksaw Ridge came out about um the Battle of Okinawa, one of the poll quotes was the best war film since saving private yes. Ryan. Like this is the war movie where it's not only to judge all later more movies, but it's the one that's the most imitatable. Like that's yes. the Omaha Beach sequence, particularly when you know he's going in and out of almost consciousness, where you hear the ringing and everything's going in slow motion. Yeah, that has been copied in countless numbers of other war yeah. movies and has also been parodied count many times. It was parodied in an episode of South Park. Yes. Uh, it, it's, it, yeah. When they're doing that, it's like oh, that's Saving Private Ryan. Right. It's
1: amazing in the amount of time that this uh, since this movie's been made that 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 other other aspects of, too have, of it have become almost cliched and parody, but, um, I remember at the time reading, um, uh, they had several World War II veterans from both theaters of war, uh, European and Pacific, uh, view this thing. And, um, a very interesting result of viewing this film was a lot of them either had to leave the viewing or, um, actually had recurrences of nightmares and and other you know um uh, symptoms of PTSD all these all those years later uh, because of the amazing attention to detail and realism of uh that initial 20 minutes or so that shows you the the uh, landings on Omaha Beach uh, um a particular example I can remember of a review that i think gets it largely right and and to a certain extent wrong is from a combat veteran that i hesitate to uh disagree with uh, paul Fussell, who was a uh, english professor after he came back from the war and he he fought in europe and he he, he was part of the normandy invasion and he said The first part of that movie would be the one movie I would recommend to anybody that's had no combat experience, frontline infantry combat experience, uh, to get a feel for what it's like. Uh, But then curiously, he says the latter half, not the latter half, but the latter portions of the movie are uh, typical Hollywood, almost John Wayne feel good story i i have to disagree with that i think the gritty realism is all the way through that film yeah. um and the real moral uh debate that is had between the squad members over the the advisability of doing this mission and i think that's very real and the extent to which they uh, show in the radar scene, the the, the scene where they attack that radar installation that's no longer functioning, which is still though being guarded by uh, German infantrymen, um, the extent to which um, the rage and anger becomes a part of this unit's life, and they are ready to kill that uh, 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 German PLW who we find later in the film, um they call him steamboat willie yeah, name, um yeah. because he is ingratiating himself to the americans trying to save his own life after they have him dig graves for the uh, um and not only for the person they lost in, in that attack which i believe was the medic yeah, um, wade wade uh but they're uh, they're also going to bury the uh, the german uh, uh dead as well mm-hmm. um they're very near to killing him basically for revenge and out of Uh, uh, rage and um, uh, from um, accounts from Fussell and uh, Eugene Sledge Uh, I think that portrayal of the the strength of the emotions and how abstracted the Geneva Convention seemed guys that are in the midst of battle and that's kind of personified by uh, Upham telling you, you can't do this. This is against the rules of war. It sounds very abstract and, dare I say, like a philosopher and ethicist looking at the episode. Um, And it doesn't seem to have much force at all. And, uh, you know, you'll hear uh, accounts of combat where these guys say, yeah, the farthest thing from our mind were the abstractions. We're we're fighting to save our lives, and we're fighting for our, our buddies. Um, they're depending on us. Uh, uh, each individual is depending on the other individuals here. That's what we're fighting for. Um, I think they captured that very well, and I'm kind of surprised that Fussell makes that kind of critique of the film. Granted, that he's one of the great voices of uh, uh, experience, saying, you know, that's what that's what the experience of combat is like. It becomes very elemental. That's his own word, elemental. Um, I think it captured that quite well in the later parts of the movie.
0: Yeah, and I know he's not the only one that a notable person that's voiced criticisms of this movie. But even with him, and even the people who don't like this movie, all still agree that that opening sequence in Omaha Beach is very powerful yeah. and one of the best sequences of uh, ever put on film. And it's there's a reason why we're talking about this is the war film because you had never seen something like this before. There were violent war films. Um, one of my favorite war films of all time is the Sam Peckinpah film called Cross of Iron, which is about the Eastern Front between the Russians and the Germans. And there's violence in there, but it's still not as graphic and yeah. visceral as what you see in this film. Yeah. And we, and one of the things I'm thinking of up until this movie came out, probably the most notable film about D-Day was The Longest Day, which looks not only at the American side, but the German side and the British side, and they show Omaha Beach, and Robert Mitchum is one of the commanders on there, and it's a typical, it's not a bad movie, but it's a very typical 60s production of a war film. They're all charging the beach, there's explosions behind them, people get killed, but it's the traditional old-timey Hollywood where someone just Uh, holds their stomach and and dies, and you maybe see a tiny bit of chocolate syrup coming out of them to show blood, but...
1: It's highly sanitized. Yes, yeah, very sanitized. And the combat that we see in this film, and I think it started the genre, and I think you can uh, uh, also give credit to Tom Hanks for follow-on projects. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, the Pacific and... Um, Band of Brothers. Band of Brothers, thank you very much. I was drawing a blank there. Up until this point, uh, any, any uh, account of the graphic nature of uh, uh, combat... Frontline combat in, uh, in World War II or any other war, for that matter. You would only f- have found it in literature. And uh, this movie actually, I think, is the first one that I can recall. I think you're right about this, that uh, showed it, made great pains to show it in all the realism it possibly could uh, on film. You're, you're right about uh, The Longest Day. and uh, my, One of my favorite movies is Patton, you know, and you see some deaths there, but it's very sanitized. And this is not at all sanitized. And uh, I think it's a credit to Spielberg uh, because he want, he wanted to show exactly what this uh, generation of um, men that had to fight the, the two fronts of World War II dealt with. Um, and it, it, it shows the rest of us exactly what we're asking of our service members. Um, and it uh, to, it's a, he- a credit to him and, and Tom Hanks, too, that, you know, they created two new series from that, Band of Brothers and The Pacific, that uh, um, cash in more closely on the actual literature, uh, especially in the case of Eugene Sledge, uh, he, him and Bob Leckie and others. Audie that,
0: Murphy even wrote a, To Hell and Back, which has turned into a movie, but when you watch that movie because it came out in the 50s, it's very sanitized.
1: Yes, and he lived through quite a lot as well. Yes. And... Uh, Desmond Desmond Hacksaw Doss, Ridge. yeah, yes. yeah. So, yeah. So I think in in the long term, these kinds of films are doing a, a tremendous yes. service.
0: And you, one thing that just popped into my head when we were talking about no other film had done something this visceral. One film that I would probably say did, but it's a completely different theater of World War II, is the Russian film "Come and See." which is one of the hardest watches to ever watch on film because the last 40 minutes are just absolutely brutal because it focuses on the German soldiers' basically genocide of the Belarusian yeah. area. But that comes close. But when it comes down, really, what this movie is about, it's sort of the ethics of this mission yeah. where they're having to save this guy because all of his brothers have been killed and he's the one survivor and they want to get them to basically save you know his family. And when we fir- when Hank's first gets this mission and he's relaying it to Tom Sizemore, sort of his second in command, right. He calls it a PR mission almost. Yeah. And even where there's the scene, when we're first seeing them walking across the French countryside, and we're really first getting introduced to most of these characters, you know, Edward Burns, I forget the character's name, but the actor's name is Edward Burns. He's, you know, he's completely not having any of this. And he goes, what, you know, what's the point of eight of us saving this one guy?
1: Right. Yeah, uh, and the, the, there's a ba- it's a base. It, it's an instance of a, a fundamental question in ethics that has a broad and a concept that has kind of broad significance, and typically is applied to societal um, uh, inequalities. Um, and it, it, the concept is called uh, moral luck, and. The idea is uh, you should raise questions about uh, whether it is fair or just uh, for people to, in effect, profit from winning some sort of a natural lottery. So, uh, for instance, um, um, people that are born into relatively affluent families Uh, Obviously, it's through no effort of their own. They've won a lottery of a sort, so they have certain advantages that um, people that uh, uh, have been born into poverty don't have. right? So that's typically how this this concept is applied to those kinds of issues. But what I like about this film is it applies it to um, winning uh, the natural lottery, so to speak, of being a member of a large family uh, all of, uh, whose offspring have been lost in combat, save one. And it's asking the question, and these guys do ask that question on multiple occasions, uh, as they're looking for Ryan, um, whether it is in fact fair or just for the U S government to take these kinds of pains to rescue, um, somebody like ryan who's the last surviving son after all uh, even even somebody says this and one of the characters says this even uh families with one son are going to grieve just as much and shouldn't you pull them out you know what's so special about a guy from a large family that uh, it allows him to as it were uh cash in on that winning lottery ticket and go home early? Um, it's a great question. It's by no means resolved in the film, and I don't think the intention is to resolve it. I think it's, uh, it's, it's raising a question of what the rationale is behind uh, having that kind of a um, program or uh, policy. And uh, it, it does want to show you the discussion that uh, is naturally going to occur, especially in people that are assigned to carry out a mission of that sort.
0: Yeah, and actually, um, even though there was no Private Ryan, or this is not specifically based on a true story, this has basis in actual events that happened in yes. World War II. The notable in instance was the Borgstrom brothers. Yes. They were four brothers, all serving overseas during World War II, and all four of them died. And because of that, a year after the war ended in 1946, the U.S. Army instituted a policy where it's basically if multiple brothers are serving overseas and it's where all of them are dead except one, then that one needs to be shipped back and they are, what's the discharged from the service. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. And actually, the, the case that the, the most closely is related to this film and one, I guess, that inspired it is a guy by the name of Frederick N- Nyland nicknamed fritz he actually had three brothers um two of which did die uh in normandy one on the beach one was also an airborne guy and then another that ended up not having died but they was presumed dead he died in the pacific war he was a bomber in a bomber that was uh, shot down over burma and little did they know but he spent the balance of that war shot down in 42 i think it, it might have been 44 i actually don't remember uh spent the balance of the war as a pow with the japanese they didn't find that out until he was actually released um another case is the case of the sullivan brothers if you'd heard about that case uh there was a ship called the juno it was a light cruiser um, uh, in in combat uh, during the Gu- Battle of Guadalcanal, it was not only torpedoed once; it was torpedoed twice by the Japanese. And for s- operational security purposes, after the first torpedoing, um, the Navy did not release the fact, so rescue missions did not occur. And apparently, there were a hundred or so survivors. And I think it ended up, because that rescue mission did not occur, it ended up being the case that only seven or eight were rescued. Now, what's interesting about that case is uh, on board the Juno were the Sullivan brothers who asked to serve together. So it wasn't a coincidence. Um, they asked for it, and they were granted that uh, um, request. But that's, ne- that's not going to happen again. Yeah um because of that so there are these real life cases like this and um it does it does raise that same ethical concern uh, uh, interesting thing about the juno cases uh, you know the, the the natural lottery argument uh, actually uh it's a bit um nullified in that case because of the voluntary nature of their service together
0: yeah, and getting back to the ethics of this, one of the two questions that was running through my mind, especially at the end of the movie, it's after, spoiler alert, but after the at the very end, once relief finally comes, the Mustangs are decimating the uh, rest of the German infantry. Um, as Private Miller Tom Hanks is dying, he goes to speaks to Matt Damon and says, earn this. Yes. So he, earn, which, and the two questions I have, does the justification of this mission rely entirely on how ryan lives his life and the second question following up to that is that fair to ryan because he technically never he did he didn't even know his brothers have died yeah. he didn't ask for this mission he wants to still serve and fight with his yeah. friends so he's not like he's shying away from his duty he still wants yeah. to do his duty because he says he never asked for this and mm-hmm. is that fair to ryan because if, say he i mean you could see someone cracking from just that much burden and you know, sing just sort of becoming a, resorting to drugs, or just sort of yeah. just fall, having their life fall apart because they've yeah. had this burden placed on them.
1: Yeah, uh, and we see, you know, in the lead up to that final uh, battle with the SS unit, tank unit, uh, he's he's not afraid of he doesn't shy away from combat at all. He's he's a, a, a solid soldier, unlike Upham who who freezes up and absolutely goes into shock and panics. And is unable to do anything at all. So I almost want to say to Captain Miller, when he says that line, he's already earned it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess the, the thought is that um, he's saying to something to, to Ryan to this effect, look, you are being given, in essence, by the government by American society a favor you are being allowed to profit once again from the luck of the draw so none of these other guys were allowed to do that you have to do something and the question is what exactly does he expect um, to earn that special treatment I mean it's almost like he doesn't He's not debating whether it's fair or just. He's just saying there's a reciprocity that's expected, or you should expect from yourself, maybe that's the way to put it, uh, for being given this special gift, this ability to leave and have the odds increase that you will survive and you will be able to go back home and you will be able to do things that these other 20-somethings have not been able to do yet raise a family, have a career. So I think that's what he's on about.
0: And talking about the German prisoner steamboat, will I get back to that? Because that sort of leads into the fact that even though this film you talked talking about earlier, this film is considered a classic by many, there are still a lot of people who sing, although that Omaha Beach sequence is near perfect, mm-hmm. they don't care for the rest of the movie. Um, you talked about Paul Fussell his review of what he was criticizing wasn't just reviewing the movie. He was giving praise to um, Band of Brothers, which it just which came out just a couple years later. Yeah, and he was saying there was everything that that movie wasn't. The characters are not entirely political there's More profanity. There's a, ca- a captain who is known to execute prisoners, and we don't see that in the movie. But in one of the things. Um, it was not just him that criticized this movie. This isn't The Man Who Served*, but it was William Goldman, who is an Academy Award-winning screenwriter, whose credits include *Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid*, *Marathon Man*, *Princess Bride*. Mm-hmm. He really, really, really did not like that movie. <laughs> but I'm not gonna, not yeah. just him, but another veteran a filmmaker, Oliver Stone, did not like this movie. They feel that the main film that this is jingoistic. It's overly patriotic. That it's. Because they don't execute prisoners and the one of the criticism was they're saying because we find out that steamboat willie comes back yeah and then they say that the, the message of the movie is that they should have executed him because because he's the guy that fires the shot that kills captain miller and it also brings up a misconception that i, I have had i don't know if you have had but from many times watching this movie that steamboat willie was also the soldier that kills um those two guys were Upham freezes. I th- I've i always thought that that was him. Oh, no, that wasn't that's him. not him. No.
1: No, Steamboat Willie kills Captain Miller. Yes. Um, that's that's the thing, I think, that pushes Upham over the edge uh, and has him uh, do what these people would say would have been the correct thing to do uh, in the first place, these reviewers you're talking about. Now, in the case of... <sighs> In case of Fussell, it's a, it's a little different though. If you read his literature, he, he's not saying necessarily um, that these things that would have been against the laws of war would have been the correct thing to do, but they would have been certainly understandable, given the stresses of the situations that these people were under. Um, and I, like I said. Um, I, <laughs> I think the film the latter part of the film does an adequate job of showing uh the the real for lack of a better word temptation there is to um, forego the rules of war in cases like that because there, there are countervailing uh reasons to do to- so purely from a uh strategic or, or sorry tactical point of view I mean and they bring it up when they have the debate there one of the characters brings up the, the, the fact that Steamboat Willie may very well be picked up by German units and be put back into uh, combat as he was, and that's a legitimate concern. Um, but the laws are, you know, pretty strict. They say, you know, if there's a surrendered noncombatant, you, can, you you cannot kill them. End of discussion. It's not an easy discussion in that film, though. The unit is on the verge of mutiny over that question. I think that's quite realistic. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they chose to let him go, I guess, is uh, the complaint of these um, um, reviewers. But the key point is it wasn't an easy decision. And the countervailing pressures, especially the emotions and the anger after, uh, after founding Wade uh, bleeding out, um, I think they do a good job at that. And I don't think it's, to use a word we have uh, used earlier, sanitized. I think it's relatively realistic on the level of the characters and Band of Brothers that
0: we talked about.
1: It's also very strong in the Pacific,
0: too. Yeah, and one of the things I think maybe they don't like about it is the fact that the final final showdown of this movie is they're trying to hang on to this bridge, and it's a certain, I don't know exactly the number, but I would say less than 20 soldiers of them, and they're facing off against an entire regiment of Germans, and I wonder if that's sort of their, they say the overly patriotic, jingoistic, part of the movie where it's a small group of guys hanging on against this much larger army and they have, like I said, they talk about explosives they have to face off against two panzers and a half track and they don't have a lot of explosives yes. and I wonder if they're feeling like that's tri- going back to the old John Wayne when John Wayne never gets hit. Yeah. All-
1: I don't know if it's so much jingoistic as perhaps uh, unrealistic perhaps, but you know, again this is in an urban setting and in urban settings it is possible for smaller uh, numbers of people to hold off larger forces for extended periods of time. And we we see that happen, but we also see the more realistic uh, unfolding of the events. They're about to get uh, decimated until those P-51s show up and, and uh, uh, change the uh, course of the battle. So again, I think, yeah, maybe it's slightly unrealistic, but the jingoistic charge, I'm just not seeing that.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can listen to other podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, For each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found at the thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker.
1: And I'm Sean Baker.
0: Sing so long, and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.